Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you, the great, are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Oh, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We should worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming, He who is called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. The word of the Lord. I feel as I go about my week that we are becoming an increasingly isolated society. I don't know when you walk into a place and you sit down and you look around, but everybody has their head down. They're all looking at their devices. I can't catch anyone's attention. In fact, I can't even catch people's attention on the road because as they're driving, they're looking at their devices. It's astounding the amount of information and distraction that is available to us. Uh, I confess I've fallen prey to it myself. I don't know, I, even last night as I was preparing the sermon, I found myself watching a man punch a kangaroo in the outback. And I scratched my head going, how can I be here looking at this? This has nothing to do with life, does it? 
But there's a panoply, there's that word again, of information. And it seeks to isolate us, doesn't it, if we're not careful. You know, the, the buzzword now is artificial intelligence is on the rise. And maybe the need for humans altogether will disappear. Seems to me that it's so much um, easier to simply not connect with people, not to know people or be known by people. There's a superficiality in relationships now, isn't there? I mean, it wasn't that long ago even where having people in your home and going into other people's home was part of life. But that happens very, very infrequently. It, it happens more on Facebook, doesn't it? Where we invite people into maybe an artificial home that we've created. A home in which we can keep people at distance. We can present what it is that we want and hide what it is that we don't want. I think that's led to the marginalization of valuing people. I don't know if you've ever gone to a party and you're talking to someone and as that person is talking to you, they're really not talking to you, are they? They're talking by you. Because they're looking at you, they're, they're talking to you, but they're looking all around. They're looking at other people. In essence, they're communicating, is there someone of more value out there that I should be spending my time with? It was the magazine publisher and uh, entrepreneur Malcolm Forbes that said you can easily judge the character of a man by how he treats those who can do nothing for him. I think that's one of the reasons why I love this story. Jesus and the Samaritan woman. I don't think there is a greater disparity between two people. We'll learn something about the Samaritan woman, her dubious past, why she is at the well at noon. But here is Jesus, the greatest figure to ever walk the face of the earth. Even atheists will tell you there is no one more influential than the person of Jesus. The ethical system of our society is built on the things that he had to say. And yet the way that Jesus interacts with this woman, the way that Jesus puts himself in her way to interact with her, teaches us so much about Jesus and how Jesus sees people. See, the truth of the matter is that Jesus is the one who sees us in a way that no one else can or will. But Jesus wants to do and will do even more than simply see us. Jesus has the power and the desire to make us into the people that no one else will or can. So I want to enter into this story, so to speak. That's why I had Alex come up here. I want to be a participant in the story, to be there at the well. And we're going to, through this story, see a couple things. Number one, Jesus sees you. Jesus sees you for who you really are. Jesus sees you for who you really would want to be seen as. And Jesus challenges you. That's point two. Jesus challenges you where you're at. And finally, point three. Jesus does something. <laughs> and if I could just find it, I would. Jesus changes you. Thank you. Jesus sees you. Jesus challenges you. Jesus changes you. We have a very frail pastor up here today. 
Number one, Jesus sees you. John 4, 4 says, And Jesus had to pass through Samaria. Jesus has been down in Jerusalem, and now he is heading back to Galilee, his home base, which is in the northern part of Israel. Well, in between Jerusalem and Galilee is this whole region called Samaria. And it says that Jesus had to pass through Samaria, but he really didn't. In fact, most Jews hated Samaritans so much and considered Samaria such a despised land that they would go ahead and go around Samaria, even if it took an extra day. Because there was this tremendous conflict between Samaritans and Jews. The Jews saw the Samaritans as half-breeds or no-breeds. They were the, the, the people that were repopulated and resettled from the Babylonian captivity when all the Jews had been sent out of Israel when they had come back. And the Babylonians had populated people in this area of Samaria. So they didn't even view them as descendants of Israel. The Samaritans said, you've got it all wrong. We are actually the ones who are descended from Israel. And in fact, the Bible that you read is corrupted. Uh, by, it was corrupted by Ezra. And so they had a Samaritan Torah. And they had a set of Ten Commandments. And in fact, the Tenth Commandment was slightly different because it said that the place where you were supposed to worship was Mount Gerizim, not uh, Mount Sinai in Jerusalem where the temple was. And so there was this thing and, and both the religious systems, they had their own priests, their own systems, both said you were not, not supposed to associate with each other. And the Romans played this up all the time to destabilize the country, to keep it weak. But Jesus decided to pass through Samaria. We see in verse 6, Jacob's well was there. And so Jesus, wearied as he was from the journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. I love this picture of Jesus, the Son of God, the one who made the universe. And yet we see him tired. For Jesus decided and in fact had to live as a human to identify with us. It was the sixth hour, which is noon, and it is hot, apparently. And Jesus is alone at Jacob's well. He has sent his disciples into town to buy food. And it says here that Jesus is sitting beside the well. Now, if you read an Arabic or Syriac translation of this passage, it always will say that he is sitting on the well. The word, the preposition in Greek, epi, can either mean beside or on. And the reason that they translate it as on and we, and we don't the Western world is because we don't understand wells in that area. We think of a well and we think of a big hole and to be sure it was. But wells in this, peer, in this area of the country that's still this way today have a capstone on them. Okay, about 18 inches thick, about five feet across, a big disc. And cut into this capstone is, an, is a small hole that's big enough for dropping a bucket down and filling up. Now, why do they do that? Well, it's the same reason why we put protections around things. So kids won't drop into the well, for one. And second, so that sand and dust won't get into the well. And so I want you to see Jesus not sitting beside the well. He's actually sitting on the well next to the hole, sitting there alone. Now, why is he sitting on the well? 
because Jesus is looking for an encounter. Verse 7, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Now it's noon and it is not the time that women come to draw water. Now the task of water carrying in most of the world falls to women because they are over the household. And so up to half of a woman's day can be spent in many countries going and getting water. Now women traveled together then in a group for a variety of different reasons. One is because of the protection of women in a group. The men would be out doing whatever chores they needed to do. The second is they're going to try to carry as much water as possible. So the way that women carry water and other things is on their head. Okay, from a young age women are, are taught to do that and strengthen their neck in ways that Western women could not ever do it now. And a woman can carry anywhere between 22 to 30 pounds on her head. Okay, that's three to four gallons of water. But getting that weight onto her head is very difficult. The women help each other to place that water and then walk. They're not going to get water in the middle of the day. It's the hottest time. And yet this woman is here alone with no one to help lift the water. And Jesus asks her for a drink. Now why does Jesus ask her for a drink? It's because he has no bucket. Okay, there's no bucket connected to the well. You brought your own. But what the way the bucket you would bring was a, a leather bag, a collapsible leather bag, and you would put some sticks in it. Jesus and his disciples were traveling. They would have a leather bag. You can still buy leather bags, by the way, in certain areas of Jerusalem and Syria. They would have a leather bag. But Jesus sent his disciples in town and did not say to leave the leather bag. Why? Because Jesus knew he was going to get a drink in a different way, didn't he? He was looking for an encounter. And so Jesus asks this woman. It says, uh, give me a drink. But we clearly see that he's asking for the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me? a woman of Samaria. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Okay, what Jesus should have done when this woman showed up is walk 20 feet away from the well so that the woman could approach and fill her, her take the leather bag out, fill her jar, and be done. It is socially taboo. You don't talk to a woman if you're a man when it's just you. In fact, you don't even look at them. I've read reports, you know, where for 40 years, in fact, where I was reading a commentary, a, a man who lived in the Middle East, you just don't do it. And so this woman is sitting here, she walks up and Jesus is on the well and he doesn't get off the well. And then he asks her, will you give me a drink? Not only is she a woman and he's a man, she's a Samaritan and he's a Jew. What is Jesus doing here? Why is he setting up this scenario? Jesus is giving to this woman, first of all, dignity. Because he asks her, doesn't he? He puts himself in a position of subservience to her. 
He's needy. She's the one all of a sudden in power and he's the one not in power. How much dignity has this woman been getting lately? None. She has no dignity. Okay, in terms of her reputation, what other people think of her. She's the bottom of the barrel in terms of what that religious society is saying about her. And yet Jesus stoops to make her great. Will you give me a drink? And for Jesus to say, will you give me a drink, is to say, will you let me drink out of your bucket? Your bucket, your defiled bucket, by the way. For Jews don't drink out of Samaritan buckets because they're defiled. Jesus is saying to her, I see you. I value you for who you are. What the world sees of this woman is quite different than what Jesus sees of her. Jesus sees a person who's alone, who's suffering, who's wondering, who's doubting. You know, we all would like to be taken for what we would like to be, right? We have a vision of who we would hope that we are, that we make of who we are. But the world sees what it wants to see, doesn't it? The world takes a label on you and puts you in a box and that's who you are, whether it's fair or not. You know, my name is Carlos Ezequiel Rodriguez. I'm Hispanic. Actually, my full name is Carlos Don Juan Esteban Rogelio Sanchez Jesus Luis de Bobón Butros Butros Gadrión Vidas Juan Carlos de Marcos López de Salamanca Rodriguez. What? That's not true, actually. <laughs> you know, people say, well, you know, Carlos, you're not Hispanic. What exactly does that mean? Of course I am. I can guarantee you. You know what my mother's maiden name was? Rodriguez. I'm Carlos Rodriguez Rodriguez. Okay? It doesn't get more Hispanic than that. But, no, you're not Hispanic. Why? Well, you don't fit the profile. You don't have an accent. Your skin color's a little bit different. You know? We have a picture. I remember growing up as a Hispanic person. And the picture that I had of Hispanics that the movies were giving me were they were gang members. They were lazy. Cheech and Chong. Remember those guys? I didn't want to be like that. But that was the box. See, the world tries to take your dignity. I think one of the most tragic pictures as we look upon our history is when you see those pictures and you see two water fountains, colored and white. Can you imagine the affront to somebody's dignity that we don't even think you're worthy to share water with us simply because of the color of your skin? The world does not see people like God sees people. But Jesus saw this woman. And Jesus sees women, by the way. Look at all the things Jesus... Jesus included women in his disciples. Jesus uh, allowed women to care for his financial needs. The first people who were witnesses of his resurrection, Jesus chose women. Jesus values women and their dignity. I guess the point I'm trying to make is that Jesus sees you. Think, oh, well, that's a neat story about, but what about me? 
See, Jesus positions himself so he's right in the way. He wants to be on a collision course with you and to tell you, I see you. Jesus doesn't run afar. Jesus draws near. So I guess one of the questions I would ask you is, who are you asking to see you? Whose door are you constantly knocking on? A world, see me. See me. God bless you. They may not. They probably won't. Your boyfriend, see me. Value me. See something in me. Jesus sees you. Maybe you've given up. Maybe you've just gone into hiding. Kind of like this woman. Well, I want to suggest to you that Jesus is seeing you right now. That this is no accident that you're hearing this message. Jesus sees us and then Jesus challenges us. Verse 10, Jesus answered, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Jesus has revealed her that he sees her and now he begins to give her the gift of revealing himself. And he says that I, he would have given you living water. The, the, the literal translation of that is fresh spring water. A, a spring of water. In essence, Jesus is saying, I am a well. Here's the guy sitting on a well who's saying, I am the well. The woman takes it literally, doesn't he? You're a well. You have spring water. Sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? It's ironic that Jesus sees her and yet she refuses to see him. She looks at him and what does she see? Oh, he's this Jewish guy. Where's your bucket? You don't have any servants. She doesn't see him. Where are you going to get this living water? In fact, are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Now these were fighting words, by the way. All of the hatred kind of boils up. Are you greater than our father Jacob? In other words, we are the rightful children of Israel. A normal Jew would have said, how dare you, Kuthite, say that you, that Jacob is your father. He's our father. I have nothing to do with you. She actually is pushing Jesus away. The one who has bowed down and said, will you give me a drink? But Jesus doesn't run away. I think sometimes we do this, by the way. We hear the promises of Jesus. We've been sold a picture of him, haven't we? Or anybody who offers us water like this. They're out to get something. There's some catch here. Huh. Tried this once. Don't, don't sell me it again. But Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never be thirsty. The water that I give to him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Oh, I'm going to give you water if you'll take it and if you drink the water that I give you you'll never thirst again 
It's a spring of water. But it wells up in you. In fact, it overflows from you to eternal life. He's speaking not to the thirst of her body, but the thirst of her heart. The thirst to be somebody. The thirst to be at peace with God. The thirst to be known. The thirst to be loved. The thirst to be right with the world. To be right with yourself. And Jesus says, Oh woman, so much more am I going to fill you up that I'm going to make you a well. That people are going to come to you and are going to drink from this well and experience eternal life. And it's too much for this woman. I'm not a life giver, Jesus. My position and my past, I'm disqualified. So here's what I'm going to do. I'll take door number two. Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. I'm not going to take living water, Jesus. But if you can give me some physical water, I'll be okay with that. In other words, she'll settle for what I call a cheap Christianity. Let's make a deal, Jesus. You make my life better and I'll drink from that. That's the water that I'm okay with. And frankly, the truth of the matter is most people settle for cheap Christianity. In fact, that's usually what's ladled out on Sunday at many churches. Trust Jesus and He will give you a better marriage. Trust Jesus and He will make your bank account grow. Trust Jesus and you will have better friends. Most of us settled. The truth of the matter is we're all thirsty. There is a restlessness in our heart that can only be filled by the love of God. But are you settling? Do you want the Jesus that says, I can fill the deepest crevice in your heart. I can fill it up in such a way that you will become a well to other people. Or is that a little bit too close? A little bit too dangerous? No, I'll settle for Jesus who will change my physical circumstances. He'll change my lot in life. I'll, change, I'll settle for a Jesus who will give me a good lifestyle, but not change my life. Jesus did not come to give us water. Jesus came to give us the well. Jesus is in essence saying to this woman, I've come to take up residence in your heart. I've come to be for you all that you lack. All that this world has failed you in. Will you take me? Jesus is challenging the woman and Jesus challenges us today. Don't be settled with anything less than the well. That's the message of the gospel. That's the good news. Not the good advice of change your life so you can get a couple more trinkets. Jesus sees us. Jesus challenges us. And finally Jesus changes us. Jesus calls her bluff, doesn't he? Go call your husband and come back. 
You know, the thing about, well, about living water is when it begins to wash over you, it exposes you, doesn't it? The roots are washed away. We see the roots. There's a cleansing that's going on. There's layers and layers of sediment that we have built up. And Jesus begins to wash this woman. Go and call your husband. In other words, now go and be a spring. Test me. And the woman is saying, you want me to go and be a witness to a man that I've found living water? It's never going to work. It's never going to believe me. And the woman said, I have no husband. She lies. And Jesus said to her, you're right in saying you have no husband. You've had five husbands and the one you have now is not your husband. But I know your situation. I know all about you. And my offer still stands. You're living with a man right now. Who's your fifth man? He's not your husband. And the woman quickly changes the subject and becomes religious. Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, Mount Gerizim, but you say that they have to go to Jerusalem. That's where people ought to worship. Jesus is trying to divert the stream of water, isn't he? Uh, excuse me, the Samaritan woman was trying to divert the stream. This is not how you get clean. You have to go there. You have to pull out your wallet. You have to pay the tax. You have to walk through the door. You have to do all the different things. And all religion has given me is confusion and condemnation. And so is it Mount Gerizim or is it Mount, or is it Jerusalem? Is it Islam? Is it Buddhism? Is it Hinduism? No one really knows, do they? But Jesus says, woman, believe me. The hour is coming when neither on this mountain, Gerizim, or in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do know. We worship what we do know for salvation or the Savior comes from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For those are the worshipers that the Father is seeking. Those who worship Him in spirit and truth. Jesus is in essence saying to this woman, the hour is now here. We're going to that mountain or that mountain is obsolete. You need no longer go to the temple because one greater than the temple is here. The very well himself is here. And it's not about geography and it's not about getting your life together. It's about receiving me, allowing my Holy Spirit to come in you you are going to be my temple in which I am choosing to dwell. I'm choosing to dwell by my grace. And I am going to share, I am sharing you the truth that I am the way, the truth, and the life. The hour has come now. God is a spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. 
the woman said, this is her last, her last ditch attempt to stave off Christ. I know that the Messiah is coming, the one who is called the Christ, and when he comes, he will tell us all things. In other words, when he finally shows up, then we'll know. And Jesus said, guess what? I'm him. It's ironic, isn't it, that the woman leaves there. It appears she ran from there. But not from Jesus, right? And she left her water jar. Isn't that interesting that they took the time, John took the time to leave that there? She came for physical water. She left with spiritual water. She went to her husband. She actually went to the whole community. And the water welled up. And the people came and invited Jesus to stay with them. And after several days said, we no longer need to simply believe on the basis of this woman's testimony. We have been with you and we have seen that you are the Christ. Jesus remade this woman into a well. She who was a desert became an oasis. Christianity is not a religion. Christianity is a person. Jesus does not come to offer us water. He comes to offer us the well. And apparently there's a big enough hole in our hearts that's suited perfectly for the God of the universe to come in and cleanse us and make us a habitation fit for glory. The call of the gospel is not to get your act together. It's to come. To allow yourself to be seen. To hear. And to surrender. And when you do so, when you experience the life of Christ, not the cheap water, but the spiritual water, it will bubble up inside you in such a way that it will spill out into the world. Are you experiencing Jesus in that sort of way? Maybe you just need to throw away your leather bucket. Maybe you just need to start coming to the well. Those other ones, they've, they've run dry. You keep pulling up, never going to be anything there. Jesus says every time you come to me because I'm a spring of eternal water. Is our church a well? We're a collective bunch of springs, aren't we? Is it flowing out into the world? Do people even know that Redeemer exists? They will as we live this life. There'll be people flocking to this well, wondering what the heck are you guys drinking? Because I sure want some of it. Jesus sees you in a way that no one else can. And Jesus will make you into the person that you were meant to be. So drink deeply. Drink solely. 
and be satisfied. Let's pray. God, I'll take the well over the water. For with the well, I have everything that I need. Thank you for the dignity that you bestowed upon me to see me when no one else would see and to cleanse me when no one else could or would and to place yourself in me that I might have life, that I might be a life giver. Lord, help me to stop going to those wells which have long run dry and to be satisfied in you and you alone. And let the water flow into my family, into my community, and the world beyond. Let many drink from you and be satisfied. Pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.